I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So today we're here with our federal minister for environment and water, member of parliament of Sydney since 1998, and a good friend of mine, the honourable Tanya Plebisek. Welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to see you again. It's good to see you. Now, we've done some work with the high protection zones around the Marine Macquarie Parks and the Youth Ocean Carnival, but recently yep. you've called out the fashion industry. Can you tell me what's going on there? Yeah, look, I think people would be really surprised at what a huge contribution fast fashion makes to pollution and to climate change. In Australia every year, about 200,000, more than 200,000 tonnes of textiles go into landfill and um, around 100,000 tonnes get exported and end up going into landfill overseas. That's really terrible because a lot of synthetic fabrics take, you know, up to 500 years to biodegrade and and as they're degrading, um, they release microplastics into the environment. So what we're saying to the fashion industry is that they need to take more responsibility for the products that they're making and selling. They need to use fabrics that can be recycled. Uh, they can, um, you know, make things that can be worn multiple times, repaired and reused, and, and also do uh, a little better with collecting that fashion, sorting it and making it possible to recycle it more easily. So the government's happy to step in. We've um, been helping with setting up some fabric recycling facilities but we also need the fashion industry to step up too. So the first thing, you kind of go to the businesses and say, hey, we, we want this to be a little bit better. Give them the opportunity to yeah. take action. And if they don't, you'd maybe introduce some legislation for something like that? Exactly right. I've said to the fashion industry, I'd love you to do a better job of product stewardship. If you don't, then the government's prepared to step in and regulate. So they're on notice. Okay. Now, I believe that your values growing up shape who you are and the way you view the world. Can you tell me a story about when you were younger, something that shaped the values of who you became today? I grew up in a family where everybody, my parents particularly, but my older brothers as well, m- modelled behaviour that was really caring and um, engaged in the community. So, you know, one example that I always remember was um, when I was a little kid, we lived across the road from a car park and the council had planted some trees there. And pretty much every Saturday, my father used to fill these enormous buckets of, of uh, with water from our tap yeah. and carry them across the road and water the trees because the council wasn't watering them and he wanted the trees to survive. And he didn't do it like 
nobody noticed, nobody thanked him, nobody asked him to do it. He just thought it was a way of getting more tree coverage in our suburb and he thought that was a good idea, so he just did it. And there's so many examples of that through my childhood of my parents doing things for others, for the community, without any expectation of recognition. And I think that's a beautiful example to give your kids. Is that seeing those good things done when no one's watching, did that pull you to public life? Yeah, and it's it's actually really weird, of course, because politics, um, you do try and do good things and then there's always pressure to, to try and um, advertise the good things you've done, you know, to be re-elected. And I always feel quite self-conscious about that, you know, because I, I don't think you should do good things for reward. I think you should do them just because they're the right thing to do. It's a tricky position though, because yeah, you've got to be out doing the right things, but if, if no one knows about the success you're having, especially for the environment, being able to share with people the good stuff that you're doing is helps you get back in office, but also helps share and empower everyone else at home. So yeah, how, how I, do you balance that? I think comfort people, you know, people want to know that their government is doing the right thing, that their local member of parliament is standing up for what they believe in. And but it's, you know, it's a balance. And the truth is that um, nothing good ever happens because one person made it happen. Good things happen because lots of people work together to make them happen. And it's really a great opportunity when you're a member of parliament to highlight other people's good work. The social media you're doing a good job of. I like the pieces to camera. Whenever I get an update and I see you talk to camera, I'm like, okay, that's oh, what's going on. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. I'll keep doing it just for you. Yeah, I do appreciate <laughs> it. I'm sure many others appreciate it as well. It's not just me. When it comes to building that successful team, how do you build the team around you? Uh, uh, I think um, it's really important not to choose just a bunch of people that you feel comfortable with that remind you of yourself. You actually have to look for personalities and skill sets that balance the your own personality and skills. So you, you have to look for people who are complementary, not the same as you. And um, and when I say complementary, I don't mean they tell you how great you are all the time. I mean people who've got different skills. They'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. And, and will challenge you a bit and give you a different perspective. And so I try and um, I try and have a team that reflects my values, but has um, different life experiences, different perspectives and different skills from mine. And do you meet people from over the years and then when you become well, in government, you keep them with you? How does that work for your job in terms of building team and keeping them around you? Because I know with diving, like my coach, my team with my content, I try to hold them with me the whole way. How does that work for you? I don't like change either. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I've got um, I've got a lot of people that have been with me for a long time, like quite a few that have been with me. Good for job, retention. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I've got a few that um, that work with me for a few years that go away and do something else and then come back in a different role because it's it's a balance, isn't it? Like I I I love seeing people develop and grow in the role that they've got in my office, but I also understand that growth sometimes comes with um, the necessity to kind of get out and do something else and then bring those skills and those experiences back to the team. Now, I've been seeing you do a lot, a lot of work with our Prime Minister, the Honourable Anthony Albanese. What's some of the work you guys have done together that you're most proud of? Well, I, I've got a really good example, something we did actually just this morning. I've, I've Perfect just timing. Back. Yeah, that's right. You, you heard it here. 
Um, just this morning, uh, we were opening uh, Qtopia, which is a new museum in the centre of Sydney, which is focused on um, educate, educating and celebrating uh, um, sexuality and gender diversity in our community and tells the story of the history of discrimination against the GLBTIQ plus community um, in Sydney and around the world uh, and how some of that discrimination has been overcome. And today the Prime Minister announced a $1.5 million grant from the federal government and I was really delighted to be there for that and for the official opening. Um, that's something we worked on together, but uh, Anthony and I have known each other um, for about 40 years. I think it- I was about 14 when I first okay. met him. Wow, so- really? Yeah. How did you meet him at 14? We were in Young Labor together. Both um, of you guys together? Yeah. And uh, you came through the whole whole system together? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've known each other for a really long time and wow. we've worked on a lot of really good things together. Today's opening of Qtopia was just a real reminder. Like, you know, when, when we are in Young Labor, we were fighting for um, the rights of the queer community then, you know, in the 1980s and to have a prime minister, the first prime minister, acting prime minister who's ever marched in Mardi Gras as prime minister. Wow. It's, that's something that I, I don't know if I imagined that 40 years ago, you know, it's pretty cool. Good timing because it's coming up next Sunday. I'm exactly sure you'll so. be there as yep. well. Also his birthday, he'll, he'll be very, wow. Yeah, it's Mardi Gras on his birthday again this year. Big celebration for it. Celebration. And because you, because you've had so much experience in government, you would have seen it come so far. What are those big changes you've seen from 30 years ago to today? I think one of the biggest, cha- I mean, there's so many changes, obviously there's so many changes, but one of the things that is really quite different in the parliament today is the the Labor government is more than half female. We're about 52% wow. uh, female representation. And I think when I first went into the parliament, uh, it was the whole parliament um, was about... Fourteen percent. I'd have to check that, but it was you know a, of fra- a fraction of the entire parliament. It was a fraction of what it is today, and that has really changed the experience of working in Parliament House for me. And I hope for um, the generations that have come after me. It's just a, you know, you get better decisions if you've got a better representation of the community there. And our community is diverse. It's half female. Uh, you know, different ages, different professional backgrounds, um, gender, uh, education, professional experience, religion, ethnicity, all of that. If we have a parliament that looks more like our community, then we get better decisions. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. And it's a huge positive change that you would have gotten to experience and hopefully will will continue into the future. Now, as a politician, you've got to make tough decisions how do you make those tough decisions? I think it's important to take a lot of advice to hear a whole lot of different perspectives. I, I quite often get a group of people around a table who completely disagree with each other okay. on the decision I'm trying to make. And I listen to their arguments back and forward. And I, I often sleep on it. I don't think it's a good idea to rush a decision I think if you can leave something 24 hours, often your your subconscious mm. really helps you untangle the knot of the decision that you're trying to make. So lots of different perspectives and give yourself time whenever you possibly can to make the right decision. 
That sleep's a big one. I know as an athlete, like yeah. getting sleep is so important. And oh my goodness, it sure is. Uh, I've got to prioritize it because I find it very hard to go through my days. But being a mother and in politics, maybe you've had some sleepless nights, but were they tough? M- many, many sleepless yeah. nights. My, my <laughs> middle child woke up every 45 minutes around no the clock for probably the first year and a half of his life. So I was a bit sleep deprived that year and a half. Yeah. I find that, that very tough. But I also yeah. find... What you're saying so so on point. When I go to bed of a night, then I wake up of morning. Sometimes a big problem may appear like an easy solution yeah. once I've had a good night's rest. And you get a good perspective on it. You give yourself a bit of time, and I really do believe your subconscious does a lot of the work for you when you're asleep in in uh, solving some of those seemingly insoluble problems. I couldn't agree more. I, I encourage as much sleep as possible. They do it the AIS as well. I uh, tell you what, it's about quality of sleep as well. Mm. And uh, I, I, I sound, you know, I'm going into <laughs> mum mode now, but, you know, switching off the blue light um, devices. Do you stop bit, using your phone I, before I bed? Absolutely do. Okay. I absolutely do. I don't look at my phone before I go to bed if I can possibly help it. Um, alcohol, like alcohol really messes with my sleep. I don't know if you're a drinker or non-drinker. But it also affects your recovery. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sleep and it's like a double, yeah. double sword. And, uh, and when I've got early morning media, I know even if I have one glass of wine the night before, it affects my performance for sure. So I don't know, try and try and get lots of sleep, eat good food, drink mostly water. It's, it's simple things. basic, isn't it? They go, they go a long way. Yeah. Now, when it comes, I, I, I know that every single teenager and twenty-something that was listening to your podcast has now switched off <laughs> because I've given that really boring no, advice. I actually see it as such a positive because I, I train, I, I go to bed early, I eat well, I try to look after myself, and I feel good. Yeah. And I, I, turn, I wake up in the morning, I'm ready to attack the day, and I feel like that is a more fulfilling life than staying up late, sleeping in not feeling good mood like sleep and alcohol really affect your mood as well so the, the you're right about the positive feelings that you have when you, you you're doing those yeah. basic things for your health and you can feel good all the time yeah. now when it comes to pressure when you're in parliament or even in government you've got people that have the opposing views to you how do you how do you deal with that pressure uh, i well first of all i think what we're talking about a second ago, actually looking after yourself physically helps with um, any sort of mental pressure that you're under. So I think it's important to exercise, sleep, you know, and do all that stuff. Um, And when it comes to conflict, and there's a lot of conflict in my world, um, I, I try and, I do try and genuinely carefully listen to what people are saying and find areas of common ground if I possibly can. So an example of this is I don't agree with anything that Pauline Hanson says and I don't like the policies of One Nation. But sometimes I'll be talking to a One Nation voter on a polling booth and I really try and listen to what what they are telling me about why they are angry, why they are upset, why they are disenfranchised um, and Sometimes you can find those common areas of common agreement. Like if someone says to me, um, I'm voting One Nation because my pay hasn't gone up and and I'm angry about the fact my pay hasn't gone up. Well, that's something that I want to fix as a Labor parliamentarian too. You can find the areas of commonality with many, many people that you disagree with. So I search for that. And then 
if someone's, um, you know, just being horrible yeah. and and negative, I, I I don't care. Like it's water off a duck's back. There, you can't can't please all the people all the time. Um, the the further you get through life, the more you realise there'll be plenty of people who don't like you. And sometimes there'll be good reason. Sometimes there'll be a terrible reason or no reason at all. You can't affect um, how other people think and behave. All you can affect is the way you respond to it, whether you let it get to you. Because even when you've got to get something through and there's someone against it, so you try to find that common ground and then then go from there. Because I suppose everyone wants to have a better Australia. It's just Is it just different views about what is a better Australia? I think almost everyone in the federal parliament is there for the right reasons. They're there because they want to do something good for their community and something good for their country. Almost everyone. Um, I think they're, I mean, it's not completely universal, but almost everyone. Uh, Sometimes though, um, people think that only, the only way they can succeed is by tearing down their opponents or by being completely negative or blocking or stopping things happening. And that gets hard to deal with. But, you know, how do I cope with that? Get, just get a few good things done. Yeah. Just get a few runs on the board. Yeah. There's a saying I love and it's, you don't build the biggest building in town by tearing down everyone else's building. You do it by building the biggest building in town. And I suppose when you do, when you do your best uh, and you don't give up, you can always get through yeah, uh, yes, and the <laughs> when you get to be an old lady like me, <laughs> what you realise is that there'll be times in your life, cycles, when y- you feel things are going badly, uh, you feel frustrated, things aren't moving quickly enough, but those times pass. And when you can look back and think, I remember I was really frustrated at that time and it passed, that gives you the the certainty and the confidence to know that this too shall pass. This frustration, this setback will pass too. Can you give me an example of a challenge that you were faced with that in the time you thought, I really don't know how I'm going to get through this, but then, then you found a way. And, and, and how, how did you find a way? Uh, look, could the- one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's so many, uh, but one that uh, one that is, a, I suppose, a good example. The way that you become the Labor candidate for a seat is you go through what we call pre-selection. So all the Labor Party members in a particular seat have a vote about who the Labor candidate will be at the next election. 
And when I was going through my pre-selection, someone put out what we like to call in the business a shit sheet about me. And one of the things that it had on the back of it, a copy of um, my resignation letter from when I had previously resigned from the Labor Party because we had broken two promises. We'd broken a promise um, to introduce national land, land rights legislation and we'd started selling uranium to France at a time when France was testing nuclear bombs in the South Pacific and I was outraged, so I resigned. And then I rejoined years later. Anyway, put out the shit sheet and it went to all the people who had a vote and I was beside myself because I thought that's it, that I will never be pre-selected now. Uh, people will um, you know, never vote for a candidate that's resigned from the Labor Party in the past in fact, what happened is um, a lot of my branch members really liked it that I had resigned on a matter of principle. And in fact, I probably got more votes because of it. What the, 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 the only thing that I needed to do was get up when I didn't feel like getting up and go out and face it when I didn't feel like facing it. That's all I needed to do. And it worked out. And that negative turned into a positive, positive one. And who would have guessed? <laughs> Those challenges, come on. I remember the year before the Olympics, I was competing over in Spain and I made the biggest mistake in my diving career and, and failed the dive. And I thought, how could someone that can fail a dive make the Olympics? And then I remember I didn't even want to show my face at the pool the next day. I felt yeah. so ashamed. But then you just keep going, even yep. through those times where you just feel terrible. Yep. And then you come out the other side and the things work out eventually. And that's resilience, right? Mm. And that's what we're... As parents, that's what we're trying to teach our kids. As a society, that's what we're trying to pass on to kids. And I love it that you tell these stories of failure because talking about failure and facing failure, that's part of life. Yeah. And it's a part you can't avoid. Yeah. And it's always uncomfortable and you always feel like you're the only one that fails. Yeah. And you just focus on your mistakes and don't realise that everyone else is even just failed their way to the top, eventually just by yeah. not, not giving up. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Just being able to turn up and face it the next day. Now, being the battle. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then when you're there, you do a good job. Like yeah. I find if, you, if I get to training, I'll work hard and then I'll, I'll finish and I'll feel better even if I sit at home and don't feel like going that day. It's also, it's also understanding the difference between who I am as a person and what I did in this one instance. So actually... Um, People who are successful are able to say, oh, gee, I, I did a really bad job this time. I, I totally stuffed it up. I really didn't do my best. They can confine it to this thing that went wrong. Whereas if you're really down on yourself and you sort of extrapolate that failure, you say, I am a failure. I am hopeless. I'm always doing this. I can't, you know, blah, that blah, negative blah. self-talk. So you need to be able to, this is, um, in schools they talk about the power of yet. Mm. I can't do this yet rather than I can't do this. It's trying to constrain your, your, your feeling of failure to the one thing that you haven't done right today rather than thinking that you are a failure. It's such an interesting point because I mean, it was one of my English teachers that said, when you've had a major success, you can look back on your past and you reline the dots to be like, oh yeah, I'm successful. 
But yeah. then when you've had a failure, failure, you look back at the past and you can line those dots up too and say, I'm a failure. And sometimes how you feel in that moment can reflect how you look at yourself from, from the past. I think that's exactly right. My English teacher, he, um, he did a good job. I remembered that one. <laughs> now, being a federal minister for the environment and water, how is that different from the state ministers? And where does your role play into that? Yeah, well, the, the state ministers also have a really important role in the environment. And I, I'll work very closely with the state environment and water ministers. Uh, that's one of the complications of Australia. We've got a lot of um, crossing over responsibilities. But there's a few things that are different about what we do uh, as, a, as a federal environment minister. Um, we sort of set the way that Australia participates on the global stage when it comes to the environment. So, for example, you and I have talked before about Australia's role in protecting the, the international oceans, the, um, the Treaty, the Biodiversity Beyond National Jurisdiction Treaty. Yep. Uh, for example, um, the Commonwealth Minister says, well, Australia is going to take a leading role in this treaty. We're taking a leading role in the Global Plastics Treaty, which will reduce the amount of plastics entering into our environment, including into our oceans. Um, and we're also um, responsible for protecting uh, some of the most special parts of Australia as well. So um, at the moment, we're trying to get World Heritage listing for the Muradjuga cultural landscape in Western Australia. We've been working to protect the Great Barrier Reef. Um, we've expanded the uh, waters around Macquarie Island Marine Park, adding an area the did size that go of it, which sure did. Congratulations! We've added, we've added wow. an area the size of Germany to the highly protected waters around Macquarie Island. So where all those seals and albatross and whales feed and and um, uh, feed and breed and uh, their natural environment. So there's a, a lot of uh, I don't know a lot of big national projects that we've got. Um, one of the two of the most important things I'd say, all three of the most important things, we're trying to get to 30% of Australian land and, and oceans protected by 2030. 30 by 30? 30. 30 by 30. We've got a commitment to zero new extinctions, um, which is really important. We've got 2,000 plants and animals on our threatened species list. We've got to protect them. We've got to stop them going extinct. And we're massively expanding our recycling facilities. So we've added a million tonnes of recycling capacity to um, what we can do in Australia. We've almost doubled our recycling capacity now. The federal government has to lead on things like that, but we work closely with the states to deliver. When it comes to recycling, I put something in the recycling bin and it goes through a recycling plant. Do they then sell materials to go to businesses or does the government use that to make parks? What's our recycling process for Australia look like at the moment? Yeah, both. Uh, okay. That's a great question. Um, so we've uh, invested in a whole lot of recycling facilities so plastic recycling for example hard plastic milk bottles for example um, a lot of that will be reused to um, you can make uh, park benches supermarket trolleys uh, road base uh, bollards there, there's a bunch of stuff that's they get creative and and it's such a good thing because the more demand there is for recycled plastic products the more effort councils and state governments and everybody else will put into collecting that material so whenever you possibly can buy recycled paper plastic whatever 
look for recycled content. Yeah, it's good to hear because I'm always hearing about recycling, but never knew the full process of what we're doing. Yeah. To me, it just, and probably for most people, it just goes into the magic land of yeah. that's better than landfill. Yeah, it's certainly better than landfill, but we've still got a long way to go. We're not recycling enough of our stuff yet. What are your plans for the future with recycling? Oh, well, we're going to keep expanding recycling. And right now, one example of the things we're doing with the states and territories is working on packaging law reform. So by 2025, we'll have much um, much tighter rules about uh, single-use plastics, about the type of plastics um, that you can use in Australia, recycled content in packaging, how you dispose of it. So we're upping our recycling capacity at the same time as we're going to strengthen the rules to make recycling more common and more effective it's certainly going in the right direction i know with a lot of packages i get it's got less styrofoam less plastic more recycled cardboard the whole thing's into place so at least we're on we're on the right trajectory yep and and there's a a whole bunch of stuff we're going to ban because it's terrible for the environment and what's coming up yeah oh well um (laughs) some of those really harmful plastics like those uh you know styrofoam types Mm. of plastics we just we just have to get rid of them because they don't break down. They're not able to be recycled. They end up in the environment. It's, um, uh, you know, and we've got alternatives. We've got good alternatives. And as our federal environmental minister, what's your goals for the future? What would you love to see happen? Well, I think we need to protect more of our country. So we've got some really special places. And, uh, and as I said, a lot of threatened plants and animals, we need to protect more of what's precious. We need to restore more of what's damaged so we can you know, there's great projects um, uh, getting rid of weeds uh, and feral animals so that our native species can thrive. Unless we get rid of some of those introduced species, our landscapes will stay under pressure. So I'm restoring more of what's damaged. And we need to manage nature better for the future. So we've got some beautiful parts of Australia uh, that we need to um, keep feral and weed free. We need to do Uh, things like cultural burning to protect them from the wildfires that are um, such a risk. And uh, and we need to um, make sure that those special landscapes are there for our our grandkids to be able to, you know, go camping and fishing in. Yeah, because the environment's somewhere that I get such an escape from, the oceans, the trees. Like You go for a walk, you feel... What's your favourite? feel relaxed. What's your favourite walk? Mum lives out in Cronulla, so they've got a national park. Yep. near there but i spend most of my time around the ocean if i yeah. have any downtime yeah i love going out in the jet ski uh it's one of my favorites although the, the fossil fuels we can keep to a minimal but the ocean yeah, you, you need to get the kayak out <laughs> you paddle over to bundina uh, it's a it's a nice waterway that one and it it's really something is. you want to protect because it, it's yeah. a place it's a place to relax yeah it's beautiful that royal national park is one of the first national parks in the world and really yeah and my favorite beach is burning palms in the royal national park oh. It's so beautiful. You're so lucky to spend time down there. Oh, it's a beautiful area. When it comes to making a decision for the environment, how do you weigh up a good decision for your your role as Minister for the Environment and what's maybe best for the future? Do you always make a decision on what's best for the future or like what's best for your, your role? Yeah, um, there's some very strict rules about how I make decisions. The law that governs how I'm allowed to decide things is called the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, and it's about 20 years old. We're reforming it at the moment so that we can give stronger protection to the environment um, and also it, uh, you know, better, faster decisions for business because it is important 
we still want to be able to build houses. We've got a lot of renewable energy projects that we want to build. We, we want to build big um, transport projects like inland rail. We need to be able to build in Australia at the same time as we have to protect our environment better than we have been. It's a it's a um, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty strict process. So if you want to build a housing development, you need to do a big environmental impact statement. Sometimes they can take years. We're going to make that tougher than it is at the moment. Um, but yeah, there's some pretty there's some pretty strict rules about how I decide. And there's a bit of a reform on the way for, for, for sure. something like that. Okay. Yeah, we're trying to make we're trying to make our laws better protect nature and give faster, clearer decisions for people who are trying to build things that our country needs. That can be a tough balancing act, right? Because sure you, you it's like yeah. we need houses, but you need to protect the area. Yeah. And you've always just got to find that that balance. Well, I think um, renewable energy projects are a really good example of this. So, so far since coming to government, um, our government's ticked off in about uh, 43 renewable energy projects, enough wow. to power, yeah, enough to power 2.7 million homes. Right, that's how many projects we've ticked off on. I really want more renewable energy in Australia. I want us to um, be less reliant on fossil fuels for our electricity. But when I'm ticking off those projects, I also have to think about what habitat are they being built in? How do we protect the, the plants and animals that are in those locations? And so I've also said no. I, I, I've, I've said no to a coal mine because it was potentially going to affect the Great Barrier Reef. And I've said no um, to a, a, a port development down in Victoria that was part of a renewable energy project because it was going to affect some um, wetlands where there's a lot of bird and fish breeding. So the project... Was this a windmill one? No, different one. Okay. Uh, well, the, yeah, the port was going to support offshore wind projects yep. in, in Bass Strait. Um, but the, the point is um, I, I want more renewable energy for Australia and uh, I want to see those projects succeed, but they have to be in the right place and done in the right way. It's good that you think about those those layers of it because that yeah something I always wonder when it comes to the environment do you just protect it or do you consider all factors at hand and yeah you yeah. consider them all you, you have to you have to think <laughs> you have to think about the um, my my main responsibility as the environment minister is to look after the environment but of course there are times when you have to consider other factors as well and having seen government your government come in and out how does that change your role. Uh, being in opposition is really depressing. Okay, it's, tough. <laughs> it's really, it's hard. Yeah, because people go into politics because they really believe that they want to do something better for the country. And the times that I've been in opposition have been really frustrating because you don't feel like you can achieve the things that you want to achieve for the people that you care about. And who inspires you? Is there anyone that inspired you growing up, or even today that that you're inspired by? Uh, I honestly meet people every day that inspire me, including you. Oh, you're too kind, too kind. Too kind. But I meet, it's one of the great privileges of the job that I meet people every day who inspire me. And the ones who inspire me most, we go back to what I, we were talking about at the very beginning of this, and not the people who do it because they get, um, you know, uh, headline billing. They're the people who do it because it's the right thing to do. So I meet uh, 
you know, in, in this role, I'm meeting a lot of scientists and environmentalists and pe- Indigenous rangers on the front line of protecting their country. Uh, I meet um, school kids who are, you know, really passionate about changing the world. They inspire me. Uh, I meet, you know, social workers and, and you know, incredible researchers who are, they're not famous. They change lives. Teachers, when I had the education portfolio, great educational leaders who change lives, they inspire me. Liz, so I, I really appreciate your time today to come and talk about some of the great work you're doing and, and what's coming up for the environment. And uh, thank you for having us in. Oh, it's always such a pleasure to see you. And congratulations again to you and all the fantastic environmental work you do, our oceans in particular. Thank you. Will you be coming on Sunday to the Clean Up Australia Day? I'm I'm. It's not this Sunday, is it? It's the it's next, next Sunday. Sunday. We can cut that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to be in on Clean Up Australia Day because uh, it makes a difference every day. Every, I will definitely be there for Clean Up Australia because it does such a good job and I love all the volunteers who participate. They do a great job. I know I'll be there and I'll see you next Sunday. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 